Welcome to Five Things About. I'm Chris Hatzis. Five Things About is for you and your inner curious cat. The part of you that just loves to know what others know about inventions, ideas and people. You've heard the proverb, curiosity killed the cat. The rest of the proverb is but satisfaction brought it back. So go on, knock yourself out and bring yourself back. Today we explore five things about becoming a doctor. Our host today is Val McFarlane from the University of Melbourne. We're talking to Dr James McGann, who graduated in 2015 and is currently working at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. He reflects on the first time he was called Dr McGann. The first time I saw it ever written down, it was on a piece of mail that came to my house just after I graduated, and I was like, oh my gosh, oh, I'm a, I'm a doctor now. And that was really good and a really strange, surreal feeling. And then all the joy got sapped out when I realised it was a credit card bill and I had to pay it. That deflated me quite quickly. But, yeah, it's still it's still weird. James, can you tell me what a typical day is like for you as a junior doctor? At the moment, I'm doing uh, paediatrics, so I'm on the paediatric team. And there'll be a set amount of patients that's under our care in the hospital. And as a team of doctors, we're responsible for that care. The head doctor is the one who's ultimately responsible for the patient care and will make the final decisions. And then there's the training doctors that are underneath them called the registrars that essentially run the unit from day to day and make the small day-to-day decisions of where the patient care needs to go, what treatments, what investigations and all those. As the junior doctor on the team, it's my responsibility to enact those decisions, essentially. So I record in the notes what's been happening. I make the requests for the blood tests or the x-rays. I follow up on those blood tests and x-rays. I make sure medications are given. I re-evaluate after the medications have been given, and then I report back to my registrar. If we're talking about in the emergency department, which is where I was in my last job, it's a little bit different because there's no teams. You're working in the emergency department team, but you each are responsible for your own patients, and you take a history, do examination, think about what it could be, and then you chat with the in-charge consultant who might give you some suggestions and where, you know, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? And then you enact the plan yourself. What's the best thing about the job? There's two probably really good things about it. The first thing's a little bit geeky and the other thing's a little bit more, you know, personal and good. The geeky one is figuring out what they have, putting all the pieces together of what they've told you and what the investigations are showing, synthesising it into, I think they've got this, and then treating it and at it responding and you're going, yes, I figured it out. It's kind of like a puzzle. Sometimes it's a really simple puzzle. Other times it's a little bit of complex and, you know, you're not sure what's going on and then you figure it out. And that's a really kind of rewarding experience when you put the nuts and bolts together and you, you know, use your brain. That's good. And the other one, uh, the other really good aspect of it is the uh, gratitude that you get from patients and families and friends of people that you've helped and that you've cared for and they really appreciate that. The first time I um, I actually felt that was in medical school. As part of my training, we'd go out to a GP office once a week and I saw this 
one lady who had a suspicious-looking mole on her hand. I assessed it, thought we should take it out and see what it was. I did the removal, I did the stitches, I reviewed her again in about a week when the stitches had to come out. The pathology came back as a very small skin cancer that hadn't spread. So I discussed the results with her and I answered any of her questions and she went away quite happy. And then a couple of weeks later, I I came back and my GP supervisor handed me a bottle of wine and two movie tickets that this lady had given me for all of my care and compassion for her. She thought I did above and beyond what I was doing, but I just thought I was doing my job and like it touched me a lot because I thought, you know, I I helped her, but it wasn't a big deal, but it was a really big deal for her. So that was really lovely and touching. So I really liked that. You spent a long time studying to get to the stage that you're at now. Yeah, I did. Was there anything that surprised or shocked you about the reality of being an actual doctor in the hospital as opposed to when you were training? So from a situational point of view, I I knew kind of what needed to happen and what the responsibilities and things were from a junior doctor point of view. Actually doing it and keeping it all in your head, that was a really big way of thinking because as a medical student, you're thinking more about the disease and the medicine and, you know, what does a pneumonia look like? What's the history of a pneumonia? You know, if I see an x-ray like this, is that a pneumonia? Is that not a pneumonia? Whereas as an intern or a junior doctor, it's more about operationalising the knowledge instead of accruing that knowledge as a medical student. And that's a really different way of thinking. So that was probably my biggest shock. And the way that I dealt with it was just write everything down. Just write everything down. I actually uh, developed a callus over my uh, writing finger just goes to show how much writing and paperwork and and organisational things that we do, because that's the way that I got around that. I just wrote everything down so I didn't forget anything and I was constantly checking. And so that was the biggest change for me. And given that, how is your handwriting? Because doctors have a reputation of having the worst handwriting in the world. <laughs> I try and make it as legible as possible. But the benefit of where I'm working now is we're going more to technology and we type a lot more, which is far more safe for the patients because you can actually read what the doctors want to do. I think moving towards a technology platform, much, much safer for the patients. But I have been working on my handwriting. It's often reported that junior doctors work extremely long hours and you're grabbing half an hour sleep here, mm-hmm. an hour there. Mm. Is that true? I think historically very true, very, very true. I think we're getting better at protecting junior doctors because, as you said, it's, uh, it's very historically very hard on junior doctors having to be there all the time. Luckily, in the places I've been working, they're very supportive and have protected me against the really long hours so I feel very lucky to have been in workplaces where that kind of pressure on junior doctors isn't there. That being said, there are still quite a lot of teams and and workplaces where 12-hour days is, you know, the minimum, sometimes pushing out to 16. So, But also it's not safe for patients either and, and we want our doctors to have really good decision-making processes and to be not, you know, up for 18 hours because that's the equivalent of being 0.05 drunk if you've been up for 18 hours. So you can't drive a car 0.05 drunk. You you probably don't want 
to be practicing medicine. I don't think the public would want us with that level of cognitive impairment, essentially. So I think we're moving away from it. And I'm, I'm just grateful that mine's only been a smattering here and there. Regardless of the hours, I'm sure it is a stressful job at times. Can be. How do you switch off? How do you clear your brain at the end of the day? Oh, one of my really good pastimes is netball. I used to play in the men's teams, except I've had two knee reconstructions, so I'm on the on the men from that, uh, just having rehab at the moment. Um, but I'm coaching now. I'm still engaged with the community, so I think about that actually like I think about oh you know next training session perhaps we can work on that defensive structure that I was kind of wanting to see how it goes at my current house and and old house I lived with some junior doctors as well and when we'd come home a debrief sometimes is really good at the end of the day just if if you've had a particularly tricky day or you you know you did all this work and it turned out for nothing you can sit down discuss it and then move on so we had a very strict you're allowed about half an hour after you come home from work you can bitch and moan all that you want but then no more medicine we're done so taking it back to the beginning was medicine always something that you wanted to pursue I always came back to it in high school. I thought, maybe I want to be a doctor. Oh, I'd maybe maybe an archaeologist. I actually remember having a really tricky time in in high school getting into medicine. I wanted to go to Uni Melp, but I missed out on the undergraduate model by one year. I then did the UMAT test, and I missed out on getting a Monash interview by one point. I remember saying, okay, well, maybe I'll do physiotherapy as an undergraduate. And maybe if I like that, I can continue that because that's a profession. Um, but then I can also use that as my undergraduate degree to go into medicine. And I missed out on the English mark by one point. And so each and every time I, I seemed to have just missed out on what I wanted and what I wanted. And it was just getting, you know, seemed to be so tricky. And, uh, you know, what's the point? What am I even doing? What should I do? And I have to thank my mum because she said, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't get in now. You want to do it. So go and do an undergraduate degree at Melbourne Uni because that's where you wanted to go for postgrad. So you'll be able to have a really good time, figure out what you want to do, give it a whirl, do biomed. And, and I did and eventually got into medicine. And from there, it's, I guess, history. So I'm really grateful that mum convinced me to do that. Other, otherwise, I don't know, maybe I would have switched over to journalism and I'd be interviewing you for this podcast. And that'd be a different world. Maybe there is a, a other dimension where that's happening, Val. How about that? That would just be too weird. Too weird. So you got into Melbourne. What was your student experience like? I did biomed at UniMelb. I stayed at one of the colleges, uh, St Hilda's College, and I had an absolutely amazing time. I think living on campus was a really, really fun and worthwhile experience for me because not only did I have great support, Support in uh, some, the academic support that they give you, you know, chutes and library and all that stuff. We also had a small, tight-knit community for biomed in my own college. Uh, so we got to know each other really well and help each other out and answer questions. But then 
also, it gave me a lot of friends outside of biomedical and medical knowledge. I, I have friends from arts, from engineering, from all these different things because we lived together. I have a really good, expansive group of friends that I don't know if I'd, you know, you, you never know what would happen if you didn't go. But I think uh, my friendship group is a lot richer from it. And then moving to postgrad medicine, I changed to, you know, living outside of college and coming in for lectures. And that was a very different experience as well. That was, it was very different. Undergraduate, you're, you're stuck in a lecture theatre and they feed you the information and you learn it. You still do that in medicine, but then you've got this case-based discussion where you learn based on, they give you a case and you've got to go out and figure out what you need to know. And figuring out what you need to figure out, that's the hardest bit as well. And then I moved out from the university out into the hospital. And again, that was a different, really different experience because you're thrown in with a team and you have real patients and real life things. And there's no prescriptive course outline or curriculum. There is, but that was a really different learning experience. I'd say one of the great student experiences that I had was going over to Vanuatu for a selective. So it's not built into the course that you have to do this selective, which is essentially in your holidays, you can go anywhere you want. In Australia, overseas, developed country, developing country. So I I decided to do it because other people at my clinical school said it's a really valuable, worthwhile experience and you'll love it. And initially I was like, oh, it's my holidays. I don't want to do more bloody work, stay in the hospital in my holidays. I want to, you know, go down to the beach and uh, eat ice cream and all of those things. But they convinced me that it's probably a good idea to do it. I was able to do that by one of the grants from Melbourne Uni as well. They gave me a little bit of money to have this experience overseas. And I went to Port Villa in Vanuatu and helped out in one of their hospitals there. I did some paediatrics, some medicine and some surgery. You know what healthcare is like in the developed world. We've got all of these x-rays and CT scans and blood tests that will come back in a couple of hours. And when you go to a developing world and you see their healthcare and what they have to do with how little they have. There's so much more on your clinical knowledge, figuring it out from what you see and hear with a stethoscope. That's all you've got. Because I remember they have a cobbled together hospital from, uh, from for some aid from Japan and Australia, New Zealand and US. But you had an x-ray and that's it. You didn't have any other scanning technology or anything you had running out of antibiotics left right and center there was so many operations that i helped in that had some severe infections of the skin and muscle where we'd be forgive the kind of grossness of it essentially having an ice cream scooper and scooping out the dead muscle and it was very confronting but this is all that they had and we were, they were going to potentially lose their limb or life if we didn't help them. So back in Melbourne. Yes. Let's talk about the mental shift that you undergo when you go from being a student to a doctor. Mm. The biggest thing is just trying to remember to do everything in a timely manner because time gets away from you. That's something that you also really notice as a change from 
medical student to a junior doctor. Medical student, the time drags on sometimes. If, you, if there's no interesting patient that you can learn from, you're kind of just on the ward round and watching. Then when you're a junior doctor, you'll be like, okay, I'll just do this job. I need this job. Holy moly, it's 3.30 in the afternoon and I haven't had lunch yet. Just because the time flies by and you've got so many jobs to do. And that's okay, but you just have to remember that if there are time-sensitive jobs, you've got to keep them in your mind. And that was a big, big shift. So you're still involved with the University of Melbourne, aren't Mm -hmm. you? Tell me about that. When I was in medical school, I was lucky enough to be involved in the ambassador program and to become the president of it in my last year, uh, which is essentially a group of students that helped the university with their alumni engagement. And I transitioned across to be involved in the alumni council. And I think there's real merit at untapped potential in the alumni community. I'm still involved in it. Is that something you think will continue through your life? Are you ever going to leave your alma mater behind? No, probably not. I'm almost certain at some point for any sort of research project as I move into my later stages of career, the Melbourne Uni is what I'll come back to and they'll, I've got the infrastructure to help. So you can't avoid it. <laughs> so why not fully embrace it and really make a good going of it? So yeah, I don't think I'll ever, ever give up. Now, often people say that you can tell you're getting older when policemen and doctors start looking younger. (laughs) You are still relatively young. You were, what, 24 when you started? I turned 25 before I started. Okay, but that's still relatively young. Yeah, definitely. Do you ever find people react to your youthfulness? (laughs) So I'm laughing because I actually got the youth question all the time when I was a medical student final year. I said, you look too young, you look too young. So after I graduated, before I started, I decided to grow a little bit of facial hair (laughs) just to see, you know, what would happen, see how people responded. Since I've had the facial hair, I have had one patient say I look too young. So... Maybe some facial hair and a beard endows a sense of knowledge and a sense of wisdom. It just makes me look old, maybe. But I haven't had that as explicit as I had in medical school. But it still happens for a lot of my colleagues saying, how can you be a doctor? You're so young. And we say, well, we're the junior doctors here. You know, we help the senior doctor. They make the decision. So that's how you kind of like parry it off. Yeah. Glad to say that the uh, facial hair has protected me from all of those (laughs) sentiments at the moment. Maybe I should shave it back off and see. It could be a good experiment before and after, hey? It would be a very interesting experiment. Mm. There's, There's a research project in that. I think so. Maybe we'll get the final year medical students onto it. There'll be a lot of people out there who are considering studying medicine. Mm. What advice would you give them? If you are really into medicine and really want to get into medicine, don't let any setbacks get you back. The GAMSAT, which is a huge six-hour test after the undergraduate degree to get into postgraduate, it's a nightmare. It's one of the most draining experiences I've ever had. There are so many hurdles in the way where so many people do that test for so little spots that really good people missed out on results that they wanted had to do it a couple of more times. Keep going. Keep trying. Don't be disheartened. How do you see your own career developing in the future? I have an idea of where 
I kind of like to end up, and that's in the paediatric field somewhere with kids. I'm attracted to that area of medicine because the medical knowledge and the medical conditions are interesting to me. I enjoy interacting with the kids and their families and treating them in the family unit. But that being said, it's not set in stone. And that's also something that a lot of people in medicine reflect on, that they had an idea of where they wanted to go. But most people might not end up getting there because they were open to new experiences and open to being influenced by amazing mentors or rotations that they didn't think of before, but they actually really like it. If you've got something that you're passionate about and you can go after tooth and nail, that's great. But then on the other side, you might lose out on the opportunity of something that you enjoy equally as much, if not more, if you don't open your mind to the possibilities. So I was always in the mindset of of doing paediatrics. But then my first job at the Austin was a stroke job where the the stroke where um, a blood supply is cut off to the brain. I was really engaged and captivated by it and it, it piqued my interest in neurology as well as the study of the brain. So that's also another area that I'm really interested in. And if I wasn't open to those um, experiences, I wouldn't have had such a good time. You speak really passionately about the job. It's clear that you love it. I'm just wondering if you have any regrets at all about having chosen this particular path. No, I don't have any regrets because you can always choose what you want to do in medicine. You can do medical legal things and you can do research and lab work mm. and then you can do epidemiology things. You can do global health. You can do prevention. You can do treatment. You can do whatever you like. So there's no regrets at all. So that's five things about becoming a doctor, or possibly six things, we're not counting. Thanks to Val McFarlane and Dr James McGann. This podcast was made possible by the University of Melbourne. This episode was recorded on the 17th of May 2017. Producers were Val McFarlane and Andy Horvath. Recording by Gavin Neighbour. Thanks to Arch Cuthbertson. The Five Things About podcast is a University of Melbourne training program created by Dr Andy Horvath. Still curious? Nip on over to our other podcasts, Up Close and Eavesdrop on Experts, for a different flavour of satisfaction. I'm Chris Hatzis. Join us again next time for another Five Things About.